welcome to the Food Freedom Podcast. I am Coach Mary Roberts, and this podcast is all about finding your freedom from food addiction. And we're going to talk about all things related to food addiction and recovery. Let's dig in. Welcome back. Today's episode just might ruffle some feathers, um, but that's kind of what I do. I say the hard things, and it certainly doesn't make me popular with people who aren't ready to hear it, but uh, here we go. So in my nearly seven years as a coach, I've worked with a lot of people who use their spouses, their children, friends, co-workers, extended family members. They use all those people as excuses for why they haven't stayed the course um, and, you know, and stayed food sober. They say things like, well, you know, I got off track because I watched a movie with my husband and he ate popcorn in front of me. Um, it's, or they say it's so hard because my family brings stuff in the house. And even though I've asked them not to, they just keep doing it. Or they say, my friends pressured me and told me to just live a little and just have wine and dessert with them and and they wouldn't take no for an answer. So these are the kinds of things that I've, you know, heard um over the years working with people, but here's the thing. And this is the part where you might get mad at me. It isn't the job of our friends and our family to keep us food sober. It's understandable to want our loved ones to be supportive of us and that's you know, kind of an expectation that, you know, we we expect our friends and family to support us, but we cannot make that a requirement. We cannot tie that to whether or not we are going to make changes, whether or not we are going to succeed, whether or not we're going to stay food sober. It That can't be a requirement because the reality is that our friends and our family are, you know, they, they may not be supportive and we can't use that as an excuse to why we don't stay food sober. It's not fair to ask others to make sacrifices for us when we should be the one making the sacrifices for ourselves. You know, we make the sacrifices for our recovery. We do what it takes. We make the tough decisions. We, you know, um sit in our in the uncomfortableness. You know, so it you know, it's quite possible that the people that live in our house or the people that we expect to support us, our, our friends and um, co-workers, things like that, it's possible that they're dealing with their own food demons. And they may not even be in a place where they you know want to get well. And us asking them to do things for us when they're not even in a headspace to do that, even for themselves, that could potentially endanger or harm the relationship. And, and cause conflict. And we cannot, and, you know, that's the other thing. I've had several clients, you know, talk about their spouses or their sister or their mom or their dad who also need to do something about their situation. But we cannot drag other people along. Um, you know, and you should know that like from your own experience, right? Like we don't change until we feel ready to change. It's not something that somebody forced us into. And in fact, usually when we get, when we get pushed from people, we tend to like dig our heels in and fight against that. We get defensive. And so that's what happens to our loved ones. Or, you know, when we ask them to do things for us, um, I've had several clients like get in fights 
with their husband or their wife um, because they've asked them to not bring things into the house um, and, and they get resentful about that. They're not ready to change and, and they don't, you know, feel like they need to, to do anything different. So it's our job and our job alone. We are 100% responsible for our recovery. Um, that doesn't mean that we have to do it alone. It just means that we can't force people to go along with us. You know, so this is where having a coach would come in. You know, if we need someone in our corner to be supportive and tell us the things we need to hear instead of, instead of the things we want to hear, I mean, that's a pretty darn good reason to work with someone because we cannot force people that live in our house to do our will um, when it comes to, you know, what what we need as far as, you know, uh, pursuing food sobriety, turning our health around, um, or weight loss, if that's your goal, or, you know, getting that relationship right with food has nothing to do with the other people around us. It's it's not their job. It's not their job to, to get us well. There are some things that we can do um, as a short-term strategy, but they're just that, meant to be used in the short term, but they're not recovery, you know, so we can't sanitize our environment 100% for the rest of our lives, you know, so, you know, what that means is we actually have to have coping skills and tools to use to help us overcome our voice of sabotage and those hard situations where, you know, we're tempted. We can't get, you know, we can get all of the junk out of our house if we live alone, that's a short-term strategy. Get it get it all out of the house. But that's not what's going to keep us food sober for the long term. Because eventually we have to leave our house, right? We, we got to leave the house. We're surrounded by food. So even if our home environment is sterilized, once we leave the house, we're confronted with grocery stores, convenience stores, uh, billboards, fast food restaurants, office parties, family get-togethers, picnics, all these things, right? The food temptations are everywhere. So that means that we have to be prepared to manage whatever we're confronted with. Um, You know, if we decide that we need the external to be perfect in order for us to stay on track, then we're never going to have food sobriety. We cannot um, make everything around us perfect, you know, we're going to have to live our lives and avoidance is a short-term strategy. You know, in the beginning when we're newly sober, when for me, I avoided going to certain events or taking part in certain things because I figured the temptation would be too great. But imagine if nine years later, I still had to avoid things in order to stay sober. Um, I wouldn't even call that sobriety. That would just be, you know, uh, like an AA, they, what they call the dry, the dry drunk, you know, like it, we're not really having to work for it. We're just like staying out of those, those situations. So uh, that's not a way to, to live. We cannot avoid things forever. It's a good short-term strategy, but you know, we, that, that's not what's going to keep us sober. So we cannot ex- have the expectation that everything, um, be, uh, perfect or, you know, just has to be everything around us has to be just right for us to start or for us to succeed and keep going. Um, it doesn't work that way. So in the long term for our recovery to work, we need a compelling reason to get and stay food sober. We need something that's going to drive us. And it really doesn't matter what it is. 
we don't have to pick something, you know, we don't have to choose something or say something that seems really noble or courageous in order to impress others. That reason for being food sober is yours and yours alone. It really just has to be something that's going to move you, that's going to drive you. Um, it has to be sincere and something that really matters to you. It only has to compel you. It doesn't have to impress anybody else. Um, you know, I stay food sober because I vividly remember the physical and the mental pain of being in my food addiction. Um, I, I remember waking up feeling disgusted for the binge the night before and just that self, um, self-loathing of, you know, not understanding what was wrong with me and why I kept doing the things, same things over and over and not wanting to do them. Um, I can remember just being angry with everything and, and everyone and thinking life wasn't fair and, you know, hating on skinny people because they seemed to be able to eat anything they wanted. You know, like that was a miserable, you know, over, you know, inside a miserable existence. So even though I had fun in situations in my life and fun with people in my life. There was just always like this dark cloud over me because um, I just didn't feel good in my skin and I couldn't get it together. And I was just, you know, deep in my addiction and, and my sickness. So <clears throat> I had to get in order for me to get out of that, there had to be a compelling reason for me. <clears throat> it had to it had to be something that mattered to me. And so I you know, almost nine years later, I stay sober because I vividly remember the physical and mental pain of being in my addiction. I stay food sober because I love my new food sober life. It's a whole new world. <clears throat> my reasons for staying sober now, though, all have to do with how great I feel and how I don't ever want to return to the pain of addiction and battling the health issues I had. But I'll, you know, quite honestly, in the very beginning, one of the things that excited me the most and drove me the most was my burning desire to look cute in clothes. That really was one of the biggest things. I literally had a Pinterest board where I saved pictures of outfits and shoes, and it was titled um, Clothes and Shoes That I Love, and the little subtitle was If I Had the Body to Wear Them. So that is what drove me. And I would look at it every day and, and pin, you know, save new outfits and, and shoes to it. It was a big driver for me. It wasn't the only thing, but it was something that excited me every day. You know, it's hard to get excited about, you know, I knew I had type 2 diabetes and I wanted normal blood sugar, but I'm sorry, for me, that just wasn't as exciting, sadly. It should you know, our health, it should be what's important to us. And it is now that drives me more than anything else now. But at the time in the beginning, um, it was something I wanted, but I was really more excited about getting, a, you know, having a new wardrobe and wearing cute clothes. So um, a lot of people would say that's vain and I won't disagree, but there was definitely a period of, of time where that's what made me move. And then when I started getting results and started feeling amazing and clear-minded and I got off medications and I turned around just about everything in my life for the better, that became the most compelling reason to keep going. So just as a quick recap, your food sobriety is your responsibility and yours alone. And it's not the responsibility of our friends and family to make it easy for us. 
You know, we have to really want to be food sober. And, you know, if you do need a partner and someone to support you, then you seek out support groups designed just for that. Or work with a coach privately or get in a coaching group instead of having expectations of friends and family who may not be in a position to give you what you need. It's not fair to ask people um, to, it's not fair to ask people to make it easy on you. Um, It's not their job. So thanks so much for listening today. I hope you'll come back next week. I know this was a short one, short and sweet. Um, If you haven't listened to my previous five episodes, I would love it if you would do that. And also, if you feel inclined, please leave me a review. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening today. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at KetoMary71, as well as my website, KetoCoachMary.com.